Welcome to the HR Huddle Podcast, presented by Sapient Insights Group, the ultimate resource for all things HR. It's time to get in the huddle. Welcome to the HR Huddle Podcast and to our first episode of Spilling the Tea on HR Tech. I'm your host, Stacey Harris, along with my co-host, Kim Seals. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us this week. We are serving you the hottest news in HR tech, including all the behind-the-scenes info about new products, acquisitions, and major investments, plus what it means for you and your organization. Let's kick things off because we have a lot of tea to spill in the acquisition space this week. Cornerstone is being acquired by a private equity firm. Payscale is acquiring Curo. And SAP SuccessFactors is acquiring Swoop Talent. First up, the hottest news going on right now is Cornerstone On Demand is being acquired by private equity firm Clear Lake Capital. A couple of cliff notes for those who might not know the history. They are truly the largest learning and talent platform in the market as a standalone solution that's not tied to another ERP your HRMS platform. They've got over 6,000 customers, 75 million users. They're a huge global brand. And private equity firm Clear Lake is taking them private for $5.2 billion. And that was unanimously decided by the board. Their CEO, Phil Sounders, who came from Saba, is a really big advocate for this. And I think we're going to see a lot of opportunity for Cornerstone to talk about things like the investments that they're planning to make in their new technology around learning and personalization and content. Kim, you've watched a lot of these private equity firm transactions in the past. Can you talk a little bit for our listeners about your experience and how they've worked? Sure, happy to. Also important to probably note Phil Saunders' experience with private equity, right? Because having come out of Saba before taking over Cornerstone, Saba had private equity money in it too. Phil's got a background in how to approach this, how to make sure it's successful, because you and I both know there's been some great success stories of private equity coming into the HR tech space and some not so great stories. And I'm sure for all of the current Cornerstone and Saba customers, they want this to be the success story, right? Yes. So certainly I think Phil's background will be helpful in this. I thought the press release was pretty pointed about the opportunity for growth that Cornerstone sees in front of itself and how this infusion of capital will help them get there. I'm interested to see what happens on the content side, as you talked about. That's an interesting, exciting area, especially as we face this critical skills gap out there in the market and the looming need to continue to upskill and reskill talent. So, you know, having more content available to do that, tying that in to a tech platform, I think that'll be really critical. Yeah, you know, content is the big story on this one, I think. You know, if you look at Cornerstone's announcement of their Q2 revenues for 2021, it rose more than 16% year over year. And we all know learning was big during the crisis of the pandemic. But it wasn't just, I need to train someone. It was, I need to train someone on a specific type of content. And if you know anything about learning and development in this space, generally organizations are spending anywhere, particularly mid-market organizations, all the way up to large organizations are spending anywhere from $800 to $1,200 per employee annually on training and development. Now, only about 3% of that is going towards the system side of that conversation. The remainder of it is going towards content, training environments, training travel, all the things that go into you know, the big ticket items 
And when we really think about where Cornerstone has been making its gains over the last year, it's definitely been in that content space. And I think we're going to continue to see more investment there and more opportunities there. And we have a lot of other industry LMSs in the market right now. Those I think we're going to see may not be able to compete as well if they can't figure out how this content conversation works. You know, Kim, private equity firms generally, I think, have a have a have a, a great conversation about how to optimize the workflows inside of organizations, how to really make things run really well. Content is a story where it hasn't really been able to be standardized. Organizations have not figured out a way to make a lot of money off of content because it just is a messy space to create content, maintain it, manage it, keep it up to date. And so we haven't seen a lot of organizations really figure out a way to make it a big space of investment like you would a systems environment. Can you maybe talk about how this might work out for them if content is the big play for Cornerstone right now? Uh, Sure. You know, I I think it's important to understand that even if this is a content play, it's still got to be grounded in technology because you don't want this to be a big capital intensive process where you have to hire a bunch of people to create content. You need to be able to, to do this in a way that's still scalable, that's not capital intensive, that that keeps the valuation ground of this company grounded in technology, because that's where the valuations are most clearly. That'll be the the challenge as as a bigger part of their revenue grows from content management and having good content. How do you do that in a very scalable, uh, economical way that that makes sense for what they're trying to accomplish for the long term? Because you know they uh, you've got Clear Lake Capital Group who obviously at some point will want to flip this into a successful deal and you know, do something, whether it's, you know, take them back public or, you know, maybe there's a sale or whatever the outcome or the end game might be here. Cornerstone is going to need to be efficient in their play on uh, on content. Yeah, no, I, I love your your how you sort of gave a, a, a wrapper to that because I think that's what buyers have to understand that when they're looking at Cornerstone as their product now, they have to understand that a big part of what they're going to be focusing on is optimizing, but also understanding how that system is going to elevate the content strategy. I think the other thing that we have to be very aware of is that if you've bought Cornerstone in the recruiting space or in the core HR space, because you're using it to aggregate a lot of talent data across maybe different indus- or different business units in maybe different regions or countries, we see that's a big space that Cornerstone has been playing internationally. I don't think that's a worry for those customers, the focus on talent and the focus on learning and the focus on skills. I do think that is a space for them to make sure they're really vocal as buyers to make sure that they understand what the roadmap is for their product areas and how that investment's going to be made in it. If Cornerstone decides not to continue to invest in areas like recruiting, Kim, is that, do you anticipate that they'll have to make some hard decisions or, or do you think that they'll continue down this talent conversation? Well, I think, you know, as, as you and I have had this conversation before with our clients around what actually is in the talent management suite, I think Cornerstone still has to keep an eye on that and how many of their customers are expecting a talent management suite, if you will, that includes more than one element beyond just learning and development. That's, you know, what strategic planning is all about, right? You've got to keep your eye on today, but also look forward to tomorrow. It'll be really good for Cornerstone to have an idea, and I'm sure they do, of what's most important to their clients and how many of them bought the solution for the full talent suite versus how many bought bought it for a specific play on learning and development. 
And actually, Stacey, you may have that answer too in our HR system survey. You may know that too. We might have that this year. You know, we, we definitely have seen a decline in people buying things because it's a talent suite, right? And we've definitely seen a, a less interest in the sort of the big talent suites. But that's partially, I think, because they've been leveraging a lot more of what's in their HRMS environments or their ERP environments. And so we're seeing a little bit more focus on the point solutions, which is why this is coming back around to content. So I think your highlight is important, though, to not take your eye off the ball that these oftentimes go in cycles. We're going to see us come back to the talent conversation, I think, again, eventually. Cornerstone has to continue to be ready for it and figure out what their strategy is. Right. Integrated talent management hasn't gone away. And I think it's uh, still a challenge that many organizations are, are trying to address. Yeah. And and the biggest central component of it, I think, across the board is this conversation around skills and personalization. The next one that we're going to be talking about is German firm SAP, who's acquired Swoop Talent's intellectual property. They're also bringing over the talent from that organization. They're a very small firm focused on recruiting data and aggregating recruiting data into a environment where people can do better job and talent matching. But Swoop Talent Really, their power is in the fact that they have two amazing people leading that organization. Stacy Chapman and Satish have built probably one of the most forward-looking artificial intelligence training tools in the market. And that's the power of what SAP just bought for their HR platform. It's the ability to gather not just data inside of, of an organization where you've already done all the mapping and the identification of what one column versus another column might mean and how you can pull them together. But they've created a artificial intelligence technology that can also bring in external data from a lot of different sources, read those sources and start to actually train itself on how to figure out what someone is utilizing for an employee ID column or for a column that has to do with skills or a column that has to do with the area that the employee is looking to go into. It actually reads that stuff in real time, which is probably better than any natural language processing effort we've seen out there in the market. Kim, this is a very technical space. There's a lot of things that go into this. It's a small acquisition by someone like SAP who's done billion-dollar deals like Qualtrics just recently. What does something like this say to you if you're in the market looking at SAP and purchasing that technology right now? Stacey, I think you're right that this is a small acquisition, but has the potential to have a much bigger impact. You know, when I think about artificial intelligence, what comes to mind immediately for me is that, you know, there's been a lot of talk over the years about AI and how it was going to be a game changer for HR. But other than seeing some success, modest success and using it in recruiting, you know, AI has not really had or delivered the results that we thought it would for the HR service delivery model and how they're meeting the needs of their uh, applicants, their employees, their people managers. And so what I'm interested to see, Stacy, is how do they take this small acquisition, but that has some really key intellectual property with it, how do they take that and do something different and unique with it and really kind of get this AI stuff going, if you will? The potential is there, but I'm just not seeing a lot of demonstrable results yet. I'm really hoping that this is the acquisition that helps this industry figure out, and by this industry, I mean HR people, figure out how you can leverage AI and make it work for you and your organization. This is the perfect storm of a time for this, right? You've got the great resignation of 2021 going on. You've got the inability to hire people. We've got to put all this together in some way, and AI would seem to be the way to do it. I think you're right on, Kim. 
what SAP and SuccessFactors have done here, the most important thing they've done is the team they're building, right? When you look at now, they have Amy Wilson, Meg Bear, both longstanding his backgrounds from Oracle and SAP, Workday, other areas. And then you look at someone like Stacy Chapman, who is one of the brightest minds in this market, and Satish, who's been working with her for years on this product. What they're doing here is creating something that isn't going to be just used in the recruiting space, which I think is where it's sat for the moment. But I think the goal is to really leverage this in a much broader fashion across their platform. They particularly mentioned that they're going to be launching in the fall of this year another component that's going to be tied to this, which is for sort of on-demand sort of job opportunities within an organization. That gets to exactly what you're talking about. How do I leverage my skill sets, my capabilities? How does the organization know what I have available? Well, we all know that there's really almost no data that's usable inside of a lot of these employee profiles. And that's why this matching process doesn't work as well as it should. This kind of technology, if leveraged appropriately, could really create a job profile that's more useful and an employee profile that's actually something that's got data inside of it. So I'm excited to see where this goes. It all comes down to execution at this point. Yeah, for sure. Execution. And as you mentioned, if they can deliver on what they're saying they're going to deliver, it would be a game changer in that ability to establish the baseline of the skills you have in your organization and knowing more about your own people than LinkedIn knows about your people. Because right now, that's where employers go to figure out what skills their employees have. What do they have on their LinkedIn profile? It'd be good to be able to bring that back in-house. We'll be covering this one again later down the road as we start to see some of the success of the integration. Definitely. Our third acquisition is more of a slow brew as far as T goes, because Payscale, the Seattle-based compensation data company, has acquired Curo. Now, for those of you who might not know who Payscale is or who Curo is, they're really compensation management slash pay equity slash compensation data pools with a lot of different capabilities. What's really interesting to watch is that Payscale, though, has been sort of slow acquiring process where they've been acquiring a lot of different systems. They just acquired PayFactor back in 2011. Now they're acquiring Curo here in Scotland, which is a unique sort of global look. Kim, you watch this space a lot more than I do. This is a space that not everybody pays attention to because only about 40% of the market right now has a compensation management tool or benchmarks using compensation tools. Can you talk a little bit about why this is important right now? And maybe what are some of the things our buyers might want to think about the importance of compensation and how it's factoring into everything that's going on with pay equity right now? Yeah, sure. Happy to, Stacey. I, I would mention another piece of the roadmap that Payscale's been on. In 2017, Payscale did acquire ePRISM from Mercer. At that point, Mercer took an equity position in Payscale and sits on their board. To your point, they've been on this journey for a while now to put the pieces and parts in place that they need to ultimately be successful. What I like about this particular deal with Curo is that it brings pay equity out of a standalone solution and moves it into mainstream compensation management. Now, Curo did have some compensation management tools or does have some compensation management tools. What we see with Payscale, the ability to manage market data and survey sources and then do compensation management, compensation planning. Now you add in pay equity. I think that's really where the game changer is here because I've never believed that pay equity should be a standalone thought process or standalone activity. It's got to be integrated into the day-to-days of compensation management. This is a market that a lot of people, unless they're a comp analyst or someone who is directly involved in sort of payroll, they don't know the players in this space. 
Kim, who are sort of the big players in the compensation technology space that would be considered competitors at some level for these organizations? Well, if we just stick with broad-based compensation management for the moment, right, and don't get into like annual comp planning or sales comp, Payscale is obviously like the sorry.coms of the world and what they've been doing for years in this space. Then on the Curo side, one of their competitors, their biggest competitor is probably Cindio out of the U.S. on the West Coast. Again, there, there are single point solution competitors, but I, I feel like Payscale is advancing the ball a little bit down the field in terms of saying, let's put all this together in a little more of a holistic way. So I think that's what's exciting is I don't need to now have a tool to manage my salary survey sources and then a tool to manage my pay equity and then somehow have to you know do all of this integration stuff. I can put it all together to say, what am I doing with my pay structures? How does this compare to market data? How does that then fit into pay equity? Another one of those ones that we're going to continue to watch and report on. But you're right. I think it's, you know, compensation management is a space that doesn't get a lot of attention. And likely the biggest competitor of all is Excel. <laughs> I think that's that's the reality here with that one. Yeah, I would agree. Most comp analysts would say that that is their, their, their first and probably uh, most often used tool is Excel. When we look at the data sets of people who give us information on it. I do think that we're going to see more and more smaller companies dealing with this compensation conversation, particularly pay equity, as it goes to a more global conversation. But that's going to be real tricky. And I think having a technology that helps organizations figure out how that fits region by region, city by city is going to be important, particularly as we think about the fact that we're now getting regulations and we're getting areas where organizations are being required to start to share some of that information. This is a changing market. Sure. And it's different all around the world. Every country is different. What their focus is on pay equity is different and how the requirements they put on employers are different based on the size of the population the employer has in that country. Also, what it is they have to proactively report versus reactively adjust to if employees make a claim or some other allegation that they're not being paid fairly or equitably. Pay equity is a complicated topic because you have to look country by country. And then in the U.S., you've got to look at it state by state because what's happening in California is different than what's happening in Georgia. It's not even one size fits all in the U.S. in terms of where pay equity legislation is going. It's really going to be key to have a place that comp experts can go to to have this all sitting in one uh, piece of technology. I'm interested to see how this integration happens between Payscale and Curo. Interested to see what it does to the rest of the market out there. Can't wait to get some feedback from Payscale customers in next year's survey. There's so many more things I think that we're going to be talking about in, on this topic. So we'll, we'll watch it going forward. Before we wrap up this first episode of Spilling the Tea on HR Tech, I think it's only right that we have you spill some of your own tea today. I know you recently published your new book, Introduction to HR Technology, Understand How to Use Technology to Improve Performance and Processes. I got my copy and I think it's fantastic. How did the book tour go? Thanks for the plug. I really appreciate it. The book tour has given me an opportunity to talk to a lot of people in a lot of different places. I'm doing events in Asia and Singapore over the next couple of weeks. The book really was an opportunity to bring the audiences a lot of the things that I learned early on in my journey. Tim Sackett, who's a good friend and an influencer in the recruiting and HR technology space, said it best, HR tech might be the most important competency to have for modern HR leaders. My hope is that we can give HR professionals a jumpstart on building that competency with the book. It has a lot of activities. It has a lot of opportunities for people to see case studies. It has a place for them to actually fill in information about their own organizations. It's meant to be a tool that you use over and over again. Congrats, Stacey. I'm, I'm so glad to hear it's going well. Thanks, Kim. 
That's it for episode one of Spilling the Tea on HR Tech. We'll be back in two weeks to serve you a fresh cup or kettle. There's a lot to spill on it. Stacy, I think this one might have been a whole teapot. <laughs> As we close out, I would love to remind our audience to please be sure to tune in weekly to our other shows. For my last email, where we'll tackle the nitty-gritty details of diversity and inclusion, and HR, we have a problem, where we'll be deconstructing the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we'll see you in our HR huddle.